The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. So, so the title of this breakout, guys, is, is changing course. And really, you know, this is designed not just for men who might be in this room that, you know, ha- have not been pursuing the Lord well, and now they're uh, getting into a phase of life where they really want to lead their family well, lead their wife, lead their children. But, you know, we, we all know people like this in our lives as well. So this is an opportunity to, to challenge them and to intercede on their behalf and come in and walk alongside them through this and and really biblically come alongside them to help them through that season. So while, while I was getting prepared to teach this, I thought, man, this is going to be hard because used to teaching so much expositionally out of Scripture and going through, walking through passages, and, and this is kind of more of a topical thing. And, and I was really fearful that you know, I, I might get off course or I might speak out of my own heart or out of my own wisdom and not be really guided by the Holy Spirit. But, man, the Lord just opened up Scripture and, like, kind of slapped me across the face like do you really think there's any circumstance in your life that I haven't written scripture about already like it's there just trust me with it and so I came across Hebrews chapter 12 so we're going to be in Hebrews 12 uh, verses 1 and 2 and if you guys you guys have a notepad I encourage you to break it out because uh, I'm going to give you kind of four imperatives four I will statements uh, to take with you that'll help you in this journey but how many of you guys played organized sports before? A good majority, right? So do you remember that feeling, whether it was football or baseball in high school, when you take the field and you kind of survey what's going on, and, you know, there's hundreds or thousands of people in there, like, there to watch you play this, play this game, whatever it is? I mean, I, I remember I grew up in rural Alabama, so... I mean, to have 100 people on both sides at a ball game was a big deal. And then my senior year, we moved to Houston, Texas. And the first time I took the field, I mean, there was 4,000 people in the stands to watch, you know, 11th and 12th graders play high school football. And it was just, I was blown away by the magnitude of it and then the sound and the noise of this audience that's, that's around watching it. And this is the scene that the preacher in Hebrews 12 is setting. So he starts off in verses 1 and 2, and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he starts off and he says, he talks about this great cloud of witnesses that are around us, and then he sets this stage for this race that is about to be run. And he's telling the guys who are going to run the race, like to strip off the weight and the sin and, and run with endurance. But he's painting this picture of this arena and this great cloud of witnesses. And, and what he's set up in the chapter before is he's talking about Moses and Abraham and Rahab and Joseph, and the early persecuted church, and those that would rather be slaughtered than to turn away from the name of Jesus because the life that awaited them. And he's talking about these are the people that are in the stands that are getting ready to watch you run your ways. They've ran theirs. They're finished. Now they're watching you, and they want to see what you do. So he's setting this up like, man, this, there's a big race that's about to take place. 
So the first thing he comes to after he talks about this great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us also lay aside every weight. So imagine, you've seen those guys at you know, NFL and college and they play and they got that big parachute behind them. They're running with that resistance, right? That, that's a hindrance. It's what, keep, it's what keeps them from running the race well. It's this weight, and this is what he's talking about, that these people are getting ready to run this, wet, this race, but they got this weight or this hindrance that's pulling them back. But I look at men in the church today, and I look at men in America and how they're going about their lives, and they're going to lead their families, and it's not just a weight that's slowing them down. Most men are disqualifying themselves from running the race before they even get in it. They're not even running. They say, oh, man, I, I, I got burned by the church. I, I'm not going to step foot through those doors. I've got, I've got post-traumatic stress. I, I can't handle that. I was abused as a child. Listen, if I, if I took a glass in my hand and I dropped it on the floor and it broke and I picked up another glass and I did it again, that second glass isn't going to break the way the first one did. All right, it'll break different every time. So, ma- so many of us, especially, man, I've seen it so much in the veteran community, especially where guys go, you don't know what I've been through. Yeah, maybe not. But listen, you don't know what that little girl that's been sexually abused her entire life has been through. You don't know what it's like to have your spouse cheat on you. You don't know what it's like to grow up in a home where you've been neglected and you've had to fend for yourself your entire life. You don't know what it's like to be emotionally abused. So we're all broken in different ways. It doesn't change the fact or the power of what Christ can do. It doesn't change what Christ can do in your life. So it's not an excuse to disqualify yourself from running the race. So the first I will statement is I want you guys to write down for, for men who are looking to change courses that I will accept responsibility for my past. I will accept responsibility for my past. Here's the, here's the problem that we play. I, I just got done coaching my son's uh, football team uh, down in Robbinsville. And, and it wasn't a great game, but I'm proud of the boys and the way they played. But when you watch young men play football, you'll see that if they score a touchdown – They'll come back and be like, did you see that handoff? Did you see that block I did? Did you see that run I made? Everybody's taking credit for the success, right? But the minute something goes wrong, then it's you didn't hand off the ball right. You ran the wrong direction. You didn't block your guy. You didn't, and we start pointing fingers. And it's always somebody else's fault. Guys, if it's happening at 11 years old, you've got to ask yourself why. Well, it's why because it's part of our sin nature to buck responsibility. From the beginning when Adam first had Eve, and there was sin in the garden. When he was confronted by God, the first thing he did is go, well, that woman you gave me, it's her fault. He immediately bucks responsibility. That's part of our sin nature. The problem is, is we want to take ownership of our success, but we don't want to own up to our failures. Listen, guys, if you are not in control of your failures, then you can't take responsibility. You can't accept the gratification of your success. If you're not responsibility for, responsible for your failure, you can't be responsible for su- your success. What you're saying is, is it's all out of my control. I don't have any, any control over any of it. You have to step up. You have to take responsibility of your past. It's the only way to move forward. Andy Andrews, he said this. He said, I understand that God did not put in me the ability to always make right decisions. He did, however, put, put in me the ability to make a decision and then make it right. When given the choice to do nothing or something, guys, you have to do something. You can't disqualify yourself from running the race and use this weight and this hindrance of your past to keep you back. You can't 
blame whatever trauma you've been through. You can't blame whatever your wife has been through. You can't blame whatever circumstances are in your life. You have to own up to the fact that everything that's happening in your life, whether it's mentally, physically, financially, or spiritually, you are where you are today because of the decisions you've made. Own the decisions that you have made and move forward. Right? I'm not telling you to live a, an apologetic life where you're constantly saying sorry for everything you did. All right? You repent, you be broken in your sin, and you move forward. All right? David in Psalm 51, he talks about that. He said, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you won't despise. If I had anything that I could give to make it right, I would, but I don't. So my heart's going to be broken in it, and I'm going to pursue you. And that's the attitude you have to have. So the first thing is to take, take responsibility for your past. The next thing it says is that we will lay aside every sin. All right? So too many men believe that it's okay. Like, if I provide financially and physically, I'm done. Right? Have you guys seen this in your community? Guys who, who lead in the home thinking, well, I put food on your table and I put a roof on your head. And you never go without, and that's what a man does. That's it. I've done my part. And then when their wife needs something from them emotionally and spiritually, they get defensive and they back up and they go, why, why are you always nagging me? Like, did I, man, I, I provided all this for you. Look at what I've done. Listen, men don't just provide physically and financially. Real men also have to provide emotionally and spiritually. Provide and protect. So, so the question is, how do I emotionally and spiritually provide and protect my family? All right? So this is the second I will statement. I will edit my life. First thing about editing your life is you have to edit your relationships. Think about this right now. Who, who are the men in your life that are speaking into it? Who are you allowing yourself to be surrounded by? What are you allowing them to say? Who's your wife's friends? What do they speak into her life? Because if it's not biblical wisdom and it's not truth and it's not edifying and encouraging, man, they're not friends. If you have somebody in your life who you call a friend and they're constantly minimizing your wife, that is not a friend. All right, they're speaking poison into your relationship because what they're doing is they're drawing you away from the challenge of being a good husband and a good father, and they're telling you to come be comfortable. Like, just, just be comfortable, man. Like, you don't deserve that. She shouldn't talk to you that way. You're trying so hard, man. Like, she, that's just kind of the woman she is. Dude, that's poison. They are warping your mind to get comfortable and complacent and believe that it's not your responsibility. Everything that is happening in your home and under your direction, you're in charge of that, all right? You're in charge of providing and protecting emotionally and spiritually into your wife and children. The second part about that is I also have to edit my content. So edit my content. What am I allowing into the home? Because here's the reality, guys. The way this all plays out, the way, the way we protect is by what I allow myself to see and say and then what I allow my wife and children to see and hear. 
That's what sets the tone in the family. That's what sets the tone in my marriage. So by editing my content, what I'm talking about is what is the content in your home right now? When you and your wife sit down to watch a movie at night, what are you guys watching? Better yet, when your wife's not there, what are you watching? Because so many men, statistically, seven out of the ten guys in this room right now are addicted to pornography. And you may think that it's just between you and that computer screen, but the reality is is that real things are happening in your mind and in your body and in your spirit that are taking over you, and it is shaping the way you view your wife. You can't watch a woman be abused and watch a woman be objectified systemically over and over and over again and think that that's somehow not going to affect the way you view your wife. It absolutely will. And you're going to start feeling entitled and you're going to start feeling like something's owed to you and she's going to become an object. You have to edit the content in your life. It's the same thing that you, you allow yourselves to watch. Listen, if you think, I'm going to sit down with my wife and we're going to watch, you know, we're going to watch Game of Thrones or something. All right? You're, you're telling her that you're not willing to guard your eyes. You're not willing to guard your mind. And every time that you don't guard your eyes and guard your mind by the content that you're allowing in your home, you're just flinging arrows into her heart every single time. You're telling her that you're not satisfied in her, that, that this is more satisfying. That I'm going to get a little bit extra off of the side. Man, you have to edit the content that's allowed in your home. Third thing you've got to do is you have to edit your approach. And guys, I'm dead serious. This is the struggle in my life. This has always been the struggle in my relationship. It's editing my approach. We have to admit, if, if our approach was good, we probably wouldn't have ended up in the situation we're in, or these men that we're talking to wouldn't have ended up in the situations they're in. My approach probably hasn't been stellar up to this point. So when I speak, am I speaking truth in love, or am I harsh, or worse than being harsh? Am I just unengaged? See, I, I thought when it came to the relationship with my wife that I was a good husband because I didn't say bad things to her. What I didn't realize is the fact that I said nothing at all was just as damaging. And it's the same thing in my kids. If I speak harsh words to my children, I'm provoking them. I'm provoking them to anger. I'm provoking them to discouragement. I'm creating opportunity for the enemy to sow lies into their heart of what their value is and what they're worth. Because understand that our children see their heavenly father through the lens of us. Like they're going to look through the horizontal relationship of their earthly father to determine who their heavenly father is. Because it's really hard for them to trust a God they can't see or trust a God they can't see when the father that they can see doesn't do well. Because you're trying to get a kid to go, okay, I can trust my father in heaven who I can't see, even though my father who's here is harsh or abusive or neglects or doesn't take time for me. If the father who's in front of my face isn't going to make time for me, then why is my father in heaven, who's got so many other things going on, going to make time? Right? They're looking at their heavenly father through our lens. So to say that, man, I'm tough on my kids because I love them, that's a poor excuse. It really is. If you love your kids, speak truth into their life and speak it in love. You have to be disciplined. You have to discipline your kids. You discipline them because you love them. But there is a big difference between being disciplined and being harsh. And when it comes to your wife, don't think because I'm flying under the radar and I'm not engaging in those conversations that I'm being loving. You're not. You're being passive and you're being a coward. Because if my wife 
is bringing issues up, if she's letting me know these things that are, are angering her, and I either fly off the handle or I just ignore it, I'm not showing love by ignoring it. What I'm showing her is that I don't really care what she has to say. I'm just pushing away because I don't want to take the 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe days to hash this thing out and really get to the root cause of it and figure out what's going on at the heart level. So I have to edit my life, my relationships, my content, and my approach. Then the preacher goes on and he says, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, I've seen what Miss Barbara's cooked. I've seen how much you guys have put away, so I don't think there's a whole lot of endurance runners in here. So it's just it. The good thing is this is spiritual. It's not physical, so it's not going to be a bad thing. I was thinking about the, that, that arena that's being set and running a marathon. I was like, how many laps would it take to run a marathon in an arena? I was like, that's 105 laps. Lord, take me now. I am not running 105 laps. I could not think of anything more miserable. A four-lap mile is the worst. But the thing is, he doesn't say, you know, to, to run this race at a dead sprint. He doesn't say to jog this race. He says run it with endurance. Like he's painting the picture that this race is a grind. Like, there has to be consistency. There has to be persistence. There has to be perseverance in the way we run. Like, the, the greatest track, the thing I see so many times in men who come in that are struggling in their marriage and they're struggling in their home is they start setting this timeline about when things are going to happen and how they're going to happen. Listen, the Lord isn't interested in our timelines. He could care less about it. We, we serve a God who exists outside of time and space. He doesn't care about your timeline. So when you come in and you go, yeah, man, I've really been trying to work on this relationship with my wife. It's, just, it's tough, man. I, I, man I'll, I'll give it three months, and we'll just see how it goes. What you just said is you said my wife's about, worth about three months of my time. That's how much she means to me. She means three months to me. Don't let yourself think it and dare don't speak it. Because the minute you speak it, that seed's already been planted. That that's how much she's worth to you. She's worth about three months. But guys do this so many times. They set this timeline. I'll, I'll give it three months. I'll give it a year. If she does this, then I'll do that. If she'll go here, then I'll go there. If she'll give me this, then I'll do that. They try to work Work inside these limitations of give and take. Right? One, that's not the example that Christ gave us, and it's sure not the example he gave us of how we're supposed to lead our homes and lead our families. The po point is, guys, is that we can't, as men, we have to stop measuring our success on a project basis. I'm the worst about this. Like, I am such a task-oriented and goal-oriented person that I find success in checking boxes. Like, once I get this done, boom, success. I get this done, boom, success. And if I get it done this fast, even better. If I get it done this fast, even better. 
And when we start doing that in our relationships, man, what we're doing is we're not seeing people for who they are. We're not loving our wives and our children for who they are. They just become tools in our toolbox to help gratify ourselves. If I can fix my wife in this amount of time, I did a good job. If I can fix my kid in this amount of time, man, I did a good job. I'm awesome. Like the worst thing that can happen in a man's life is not that he loses, but that he almost wins. And so many men do that. It's not that they lose. They get so close to winning and they belly over and they give up. We get so close. We've got to stop defining our success by what we get done and how soon we get it done. Success has to be determined by my satisfaction in the Lord how many people I love, and then how deeply I love them. Like when, when I start finding satisfaction in Christ alone and with how deeply I love my wife and my children and the people that I minister to, man, that's success. It's not about fixing. All right? The, the Lord allows us to be in the kitchen, but it's not because he needs our help to clean up. If anything, we just get in the way. It's because he desires a relationship with us, and that's the only reason we get to be a part of this. So everything that's happening in your life and in your home is as much about your sanctification and being more conformed to the image of God than it is your wife and your children. So don't miss that point. So while we study running the race with endurance, that third point is that I will work without boundaries. The last thing the preacher teaches, and man, it's so good, is, is verse 2. And he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In everything that we're enduring and everything we're going to, what is his final, final point in this passage? Look to Jesus. Right? Consider Christ. Because here's the reality. The reality is, is that if my identity is not deeply rooted in Christ, then all of a sudden my identity is now found in my wife, or my kids, or my career, or my hobbies, or other people's opinions. If I'm not so deeply rooted in Christ that that is my identity, I'm going to draw my identity from my wife, my kids, or my career, or any other person that I allow into my life. James 1, 5 through 8 says this. He says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. What he's saying is that if you proclaim Christ and you say you believe one thing, but you walk differently, if you're not truly found in Christ, then you're a wave tossed by the wind, back and forth. You're not anchored in anything. And a man like that is unstable in all his ways. Whenever uh, Kimberly and I came to faith in Christ and man look the Lord started to really redeem our marriage for those of you that don't 
don't know me, just kind of a, a hop back a little bit here. You know, I, I, I had a pretty extensive military career, and then I worked in oil and gas. And after, you know, after everything that I was trying to navigate, man, I didn't have deep spiritual roots. So I started finding my identity in alcohol and drugs and other women. So whenever Christ came and redeemed me and redeemed my wife and started to restore our marriage, like this was all stuff that we had to really work through. Like we had to get to the heart of it. And you can imagine the deep wounds that I gave my wife whenever I, I sat across from her and, and told her that I'd, I'd been unfaithful. But I, I, was, I was trusting the Lord to restore it. So what I did is I was encouraged by, man, like when I talked about those guys that are just, man, they're there and they're there for you and they're encouraging you and they're building you up. I had one of those guys in my life that no matter how much I complained or griped, he just pointed me back to Jesus all the time. And the best advice he gave me is like, you've got to be so deeply rooted in Christ that even if this doesn't work out, you're, you're found in him. And that's satisfaction enough. Like there's consequences for your actions. Understand that. You don't get a free pass because you have Jesus now. Right? You don't get saved and then just expect your wife to forgive you for everything and it's all going to be good now and I'm a new creation so let's just move on. No, some deep wounds have been dealt and you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your actions. You're going to have to man up and take responsibility for that past. So that's what I had to do. Like that's what the Lord called me to do. So I started writing these letters to her every day about, you know, how I felt about her and how I loved her and passages of scripture and what the Lord was teaching me and what I, you know, what I wanted her to be a part of. And man, she'd ball them things up and throw them in the trash. And if I was like my old self, task oriented, got to fix it, got to fix it. And I'm working on this timeline. I'd have probably eventually hit a two or three week mark and go, well, this isn't working anymore. So I'm just going to give up. I got to try something new. I got to do something different. But I didn't. Because for the first time in my life, I wasn't identifying with what my wife thought about me. I was identifying with Christ and how he was calling me to lead my family well and love my wife well. And it didn't matter how she responded. It only mattered that I was being obedient to him. So I kept writing letters. And eventually they ended up in her purse and then one ended up on the fridge. And man, like the Lord started to change her heart. But there wasn't this moment where we just broke through and everything made sense. Like we had this aha moment. No, it took about 18 months of just consistently living as a godly man and truly pursuing her to get her to believe that I was who I said I was. And the Lord working in her heart and restoring her, not because of anything I was doing, just giving the Holy Spirit time to do the Holy Spirit. Because if we're honest, he plays the Holy Spirit a lot better than we do. Sometimes we feel like we are. But man, like just obedient to the Lord and trusting the process. Trusting him. And being so deeply rooted in him. Like, well, you have to identify with Christ. You guys, uh, you know, the second, second portion here is it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Have, have you, how many bow hunters are in here? Is there some bow hunters? A few guys? Any guys ever hunt at all? Okay. Watch hunting shows. Sometimes you'll shoot. Or you've seen it, you'll shoot a deer and that arrow will pass through and that deer just kind of flinches and it just looks around, right? If somebody shoots me in the chest, I'm going to know it. But animals aren't created that way. So what is it about mankind that we, we say we have a lower pain tolerance, 
really what it is is we're more aware, right? We're more aware of the pain and the suffering that's taking place in our body. An animal doesn't have a cognitive brain to, to really process what's happening in that moment. It's fight or, fight or flight, that's it, nothing else. We have the ability to understand what's happening. So our suffering is greater than an animal's because we have that. We're created in the image of God. So now imagine the suffering that we feel like we would endure on the cross and then apply that to a holy God who completely understands what's happening right now. He's not just feeling the physical and emotional pain that we would feel. He's feeling the spiritual weight of everything around him, and he is fully grasping the weight of sin and the pain and suffering in his body. We can't fathom what Christ did on the cross. Like, that is a pain that we will never understand. But despite that, despite how great that pain was, it says that Christ, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? The joy was that he was going to be reunited with the Father. And that he was going to be exalted. And this crown of glory was going to be put on his head. And he was going to sit at the right hand. And that through his completed work, he was going to gather a nation to himself. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 40. It, it talks about that great cloud of witnesses that were, were in the arena to watch us run the race. And the, and the preacher says that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he, en- for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the whole world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Guys, we look at the suffering that these people endure, the early church by faith in God, And I put that in the perspective and I go, what is my financial problem? What is my marriage problem? What is the problem with my kids compared to what God can do? 
compared to what he's willing to do for those who walk in faith. It's nothing. It means nothing. We run with endurance because we've been promised something better through Christ. Through Christ, we've been reconciled to God. We've been resurrected with Jesus. And through him, we have an internal weight of glory, a crown of glory waiting for us. And we'll reign with him if we run with endurance. If we put off the excuses, if we step up to the challenge, if we disciple and love and lead well. That's what God's called biblical men to do. All right? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the example that you give us in Scripture. We're so thankful for, uh, Lord, the, the witnesses that went before us. God, we thank you that you, you love us so much that you discipline us and you, you encourage us and that you won't settle for, for anything less. God, I pray that the men here, that our, our hearts will be softened to hear your words, that we'll be challenged to go back and, and lead and love well. Uh, that we won't be harsh fathers or negligent fathers. That we won't be critical husbands or, or just completely unengaged. But, Father, we would truly seek to love and shepherd our wives and wash them with the word and, and, and be the men that you've called us to be. That we would love sacrificially the way that you love us and the way you love your church. Father, I pray for the hearts of the men's here. I pray that they'll be impacted by this weekend. This, as we continue to fellowship together tonight and tomorrow, Lord, that you just continue to work in our hearts. And we'll go back encouraged. And we'll start to change this generation. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.